Hello, everybody, and welcome into Corner Booth Sports. My name's John Zagluel of WCKG and Sports Talk Chicago. With me, my man, as always, Daniel Karp. Uh, both go to the University of Chicago. We decided once again to come together and talk a bit of sports, and that's what we're doing today. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing well. I'm really excited to talk about possibly my favorite topic in sports, which is the Hall of Fame. So uh, without further ado, uh, let's get into it. Yeah, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. We, we uh, planned this event. We're going to talk about guys who aren't in right now who we think should be in. And this is a point of contention between us. We debate this hours on end, really. Uh, if you know us, you know how much we are passionate about this topic. So, Daniel, why don't you go first? Tell us about a player that you think should be in that isn't in right now. Well, thanks, John. I, I, it's a really good time to be talking about this just because this is when the Hall of Fame would normally be inaugurating their new members. But, of course, this year they've had to push that back. But a good way to supplement that for our sakes is to talk about next year's Hall of Fame. So uh, <laughs> one person that I would love to see get in, even though I'm not sure he's ever going to, is Andy Pettit. Now, at this point, you've got three members of the Yankee dynasty into the Hall of Fame. You've got Mariano with 100%, Derek Jeter last year, and Mussina as well. Now, Mussina didn't win any World Series with the Yankees, but he was a part of it from, I believe, 03 to 08 and won 20 games with the Yankees. But Andy Pettit was there for all five World Series. Now, he did take HGH, which is his biggest flaw. And it was not at a time when it was illegal, and he never served a suspension. But that is a flaw in his, uh, in his, uh, his resume. But he had 256 wins, a 3-8 ERA, which is a little bit high, and 2,500 strikeouts. He had a 60.2 war and finished top five or top six in the Cy Young five times over his career. Some might say he's the Hall of Very Good. Right now, that's what the metrics and uh, all the that's what the metrics suggest, and that is what people are voting towards. But I think he's a Hall of Famer. He has the best postseason resume of any pitcher ever. And his numbers might fall short in the regular season, namely his strikeouts and his ERA. But I think that you can overlook that for his postseason prowess, especially considering now moving forward that 250 wins is going to be the number to reach for pitchers as we think CC Sabathia might get in with that help. I think it's fair to look at Andy Pettit maybe through the same scope of 256 wins being enough wins to get in. John, what do you think about that? Okay. So I couldn't disagree with you more, <laughs> but here's why I will defend your point, first of all. If the Hall of Fame lets in Jack Morris, who had an ERA of 3.9, it's the highest ERA of any starting pitcher in the entire Hall of Fame. So if they let in Jack Morris, then by default, you have to let in Andy Pettit. Jack Morris, great postseason resume, similar amount of wins, 3-9 ERA, no milestones, got in. I, to this day, I firmly disagree with that um, induction. But because he's in, I understand your point. And rationally speaking, he should be in, Pettit, if Jack Morris is. Now, if we're talking about me and what I personally think, no way. But then again, Jack Morris shouldn't be in. Harold Bain shouldn't be in. There are a lot of guys who are in the Hall of Fame right now who really shouldn't be there. In the case of Pettit, yes, he was a good player. But he did use steroids. That's been proven. 
good friends with Roger Clements, our friend who also is not in the <laughs> Hall of Fame because he used steroids. So that's first and foremost a big problem. Secondly, although he has some milestones, right? The 250 wins, you know, uh, World Series championships, I get it. He doesn't have any of the old school milestones that you would consider to be Hall of Fame worthy. Did not get the 3,000 strikeouts. Didn't even get to 2,500. And today, that's also your new ticket to the Hall of Fame. He never was considered the best at his position, or even a top five, I would argue. Yes, he finished a couple of times top five Cy Young. But, I mean, you look at his years in the league and his ERA and his ERA plus. 117 is fine. It's not great. 120 is usually the benchmark, and that's just the low part. You got guys in the Hall of Fame pitchers, 130, 140 in the ERA plus category. His ERA of 3.85, if he were to get in, would be the second highest amongst any starting pitcher. And if Jack Morris wasn't led in by the Veterans Committee, it would be the highest. So I am completely against Andy Pettit. I could not disagree more, but what, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised you would nominate Andy Pettit to try and get in. No, of course I have the Yankee bias, but uh, I do have one question for you. So Mike Mussini mm-hmm. got in. Uh, he had a 3.68 ERA, a little bit high as well, I might say. I thought he deserved to get in. I thought he was the most overlooked pitcher from the steroid era. But it was the steroid era, and the ERAs were a little bit inflated. Pettis might be a little bit more so. But does that possibly sway your, the ERA argument? And you can assume – I mean, it's not fair to assume. But the ERA was higher because of the steroid era, and had he pitched in a different era – the ERA would be lower. That is a good point. And it's something to be considered for sure. But he did use steroids himself. Whether it be for recovery purposes, which is what the official narrative is, or whether it be for more that we don't know about. So because of that being on his resume, even though the ERA argument is sound, because of the fact that he himself used steroids, he should have done better. If he had steroids in his system, he should have done better than how he did, in my opinion. So I don't firmly agree or fully agree that that would be a great argument for him. I still don't. He's the Hall of Very Good. Then again, as we already acknowledged, there is Hall of Very Good players in the Hall of Fame today. So if we're going to go by that measurement, by that argument, yeah, let them in. Let a ton of guys in. There are a ton of guys who are the Hall of Very Good. We might as well just let them in too. Let them all into the Hall of Fame because that's what it's turned into these days. But if we're talking about straight up um, hard-nosed Hall of Fame numbers and um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Hall of Fame numbers and milestones, I don't think he deserves to get it. But that's me. Yeah, I mean, I totally understand the point, and I think that most people agree with you. Luckily, this is all a moot, po- a moot point because he has gone from 9% his first year to 10 to 11%, so he's not growing at the rate that he should be if he wants to be on track to get there, and it might go up with the weak bouts moving forward. But I just think that you can counter the lack of milestones with the postseason milestones, which he leads. He has the, he's the winningest pitcher in postseason history. There is no one that has pitched better in the postseason than Andy Pettit. By that argument, then, we have to let in Kirk Schilling, too. And I would agree. I, I, 
maybe you'll talk about this more, but I think that it's pretty stupid that as a result of his political beliefs, whether you agree with them or not, that you were, that he is not getting in on his baseball merits, which is what the Hall of Fame is. The Hall of Fame is not how good are you at baseball and how good of a person you are, because then Ty Cobb wouldn't be in there. Ty Cobb was a terrible person. Yep. So what? If you want to pull out Ty Cobb, then we'll talk about Kurt Schilling. But until then, Kurt Schilling should be in the Hall of Fame. And I think that he will be getting in this year. He was 70% last year. I think he's going to grow again. It's his ninth year on the ballot. He's, I think he's going to find a way in at some point. Yep, no, I agree. Uh, Kurt Schilling is a guy who never really stood out on the ballot. But as the years have progressed here, people have realized just how good he really is. Great postseason pitcher, three-time World Series champion, World Series MVP, co with Randy Johnson in 2001. He's the only member of the 3,000 strikeout club, minus Roger Clements, who is not in the Hall of Fame. Right. There is so much going for Schilling, and I hope these voters put his politics aside and just think about baseball performance. You know, O.J. Simpson is in the Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> He's a murderer. It's all about your performance on the field when you play. So if we're going to take that only into account, yeah, Schilling should be in. And there's something to be said as well for his aura on the mound. I mean, he has the stories of Kurt Schilling – and the one that comes to mind for, I think, most baseball fans is the bloody sock. But these are stories that are, are, are part of what makes baseball great. And the Hall of Fame is trying to tell history of baseball. And the history of baseball doesn't exist without Kurt Schilling. Yep. Nope. Couldn't agree more. 100%. Schilling is a guy who should be in. He should have been in first ballot, in my opinion. But hopefully he'll get in here in year 10. Yeah, and he had 20 wins three times, and he probably would have won a Young if it wasn't for Roger Clemens slash Randy Johnson. I mean, you can make the case it's bad luck. He, he's so similar to Mike Mussina in terms of how he was overlooked during that era with those, the other five guys, with Johnson and Maddox and Glavin. But, yeah, I think Schilling definitely – there's definitely a spot for Schilling in the Hall of Fame. Do I get to go with my guy now? Yeah, go for it. I've been, I've been rearing for this one. So – let me ask you this to start, Daniel. Okay, I want to ask you a question. You could respond if you want. If you're the best at your position, should you be in the Hall of Fame? It's a very interesting, interesting question, John, because you could look at it from a few different standpoints. The one that I want to look at is just the top 1% of baseball players, which is what the Hall of Fame represents. Because you could have the top 1% of baseball players could all be right fielders. A lot of the best baseball players, hitter-wise, are outfielders. And sure. other positions are less represented. But that's not because the outfielders or the infielders are not as good as – or the infielders are just not as good as the outfielders. And that is why there are more outfielders in. So I don't think it's a matter of if you're the best at your position as much as are you the top 1% of players, period. That's a fair point. Look, here's the thing. I know you're going there with is, this too. There is a guy on the Hall of Fame ballot right now who, last time I checked, got 28% of the vote, who is considered the greatest power-hitting second baseman that baseball has ever seen. No one has hit as many home runs at the second base position 
as Jeff Kent. And that's a guy who is still struggling to get in the Hall of Fame. He broke Ryan Sandberg's record. He cleared it. Sandberg had 282. Kent, 377. Kent won an MVP. You can't tell the story of baseball without Jeff Kent. And I find it just appalling, appalling, Daniel, that people are not voting for Jeff Kent. Again, he's the greatest power-hitting second baseman in the history of the game. The history. From 1876 to 2020, there is nobody who's hit more home runs at second base than Jeff Kent. And yet, for some reason, he's at 28% with two years to go. I don't understand it. Man, somebody needs to give me a vote, okay? Because this is ridiculous. Even nobody supports him. The traditionalists don't support him. The sabermetricians dare not support him. And I don't understand why. I don't get it. You know, the argument is that he's a one-dimensional player. You know what? I don't care. Again, nothing will go past me less than the um, 377 home runs. If you are the greatest at something, you should be in the Hall but of Fame. But he's just the greatest power here. That's such a niche. Like, that's like saying that because Billy Hamilton is the best speedster of the 2010s, that he should be in the Hall of Fame. And that is absurd. Isn't it absurd? Then why did Mike Piazza get it? How many home runs did he have? 420-ish. But the point is, he got in. His biggest calling card was um, – most home runs at the catcher position. And I remember when they His let him batting in, average that was the biggest thing. was above 300. He was a 10-time All-Star, I believe. 12-time All-Star. Silver Slugger. Rookie of the Year. 60 war. What is Jeff Kent's war? Do you know what Jeff Kent's war is? 55. 55.4. And do you know what Jeff Kent's war 7 was? 35.8. Exactly. He's below Tim care. Hudson, who, who's not even – you can't even imagine Tim Hudson being in the Hall of Fame. He's below Tim Hudson. His war uh, was low. If he was the great second baseman, his war would be high. Wouldn't it? All-around second baseman, yeah, sure. Mike Piazza was no notorious for being a horrible defensive catcher, and they let him in. I remember, Daniel, okay, MLB Network. We both watch it religiously. When the Hall of Fame announcement was made, and they said Mike Piazza was getting in. I watched it live. They said he has the most home runs by a catcher ever. That was a big deal that they made when they let him in. So why does that not transfer to Jeff Kent at second base? Yeah, you got no answer. It Nobody just seems, has an it answer. Just, the answer just seems like the barrier, like in the same argument you may get any pettit where none of the metrics are big enough. None of the metrics are big enough. If, if I showed up one day and I was the first first baseman to ever hit one home run and no one else ever hit a home run at first base, am I a Hall of Famer just because I have the most over other people? Maybe that's an extreme case that I'm giving. But I'm not sure that Mike Piazza got in because he had the most home runs at the catcher position. I don't think Jeff Kent should get in because he has the most home runs at the second base position. Sorry, Mike Piazza at the catcher position. What, I, you're a Cubs fan. Why did Ryan Sandberg get in the Hall of Fame? Ryan Sandberg was an all-around great player. 282 home runs, won an MVP, great defender, gold glove winner, but also, and this is important, the face of the franchise. 
That is something, look, Chipper Jones, right? Did not get to any milestones, finished short of everything. Didn't get 3,000 hits, didn't get 500 home runs, but you know what? He played with the Braves his entire career. He was the face of the franchise offensively during their great years of pitching. That's why he got in. If Jeff Kent had stayed with one team his entire career and put up the exact same numbers, he'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, but he didn't. He was not, he was not pivotal to any team. Okay. But that shouldn't be held against him. It's not his fault that he jumped from team to team. And by the way, the Giants made the World Series with Jeff Kent. The Astros made the, um, the NLCS with Jeff Kent. He's been on postseason teams. He's been on good teams. He, he won the MVP the year the Giants made it to the World Series. That wasn't even Barry Bonds' year. So, no, 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 no. Jeff Kent deserves to be in Cooperstown. If we're letting in Jack Morris, if we're letting in all these players right. who don't – Phil Rizzuto, why can Jeff Kent not be there as an elite player, as the greatest power-hitting second baseman in the history of baseball? See, there's no – nobody has – you can't answer that by saying – nobody can answer it by saying – the metrics oh, are not high it. enough. The metrics are not high enough. I don't care if you are not the top 1%, you don't deserve to be in. I don't care if you're the top 1% of second basemen if the second base pool is weak, which is the argument I was making earlier. And second base pool just happens to be very weak. Maybe that's because when people were in high school, they started off as shortstops and they had to move over to second base because their <laughs> arms are weak. And that is why they're all there now is because they couldn't play shortstop. So if you can't put up the same numbers as short, if you put the same numbers as shortstop, you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame because you stay a shortstop. Second base is a weak position. It just always has been. Sam Steve. He got in with 76%. 70%. Yeah, I know. It took him, took him two years. But, no, I, I firmly – I cannot disagree more. This is ridiculous. Okay? The Hall of Fame, the whole point of the Hall of Fame is for the elite, the best of the best. Jeff Kent was the best of the was best the at his best position. best of the second base. I, might, I'm not, I don't hitter. disagree. I don't disagree. But he is not the top 1%, which is what the Hall of Fame ought to be. Forget their mistakes. Forget the Jack Morrises, their Phil Rizzutos. It still is supposed to be the 1%. You can make errors here and there. We don't like them, but they happen. Now that we know that, we've, that the errors have been made, should we make another error with Jeff Kent? Clearly, no one agrees with you. 27%. Yeah. So there are some people who do agree with me. And if I had a ballot, oh my goodness, the, the, the changes that I would make to the voting process or the, the idiots that some of these writers have been voting for is just ridiculous, dude. There are so many people who have not gotten enough recognition who should have gotten enough recognition. And we talked about this before we came on. Bernie Williams falling off the ballot after one year. Kenny Lofton falling off the ballot after one year. The sabermetric people right now are rallying around Scott Rowland. Ridiculous. It's just insane. I mean, I need a vote, man. I need a vote bad because things need to change here in this process. This is just overblown. A lot of people who I think do not know enough about the game are getting votes. And by that process, they're voting for people who should not get in. That's my opinion. I mean, that's just an overarching opinion, but that also goes under the category of why, for some reason, no one is voting for Jeff Kent. Obviously, the people who are voting don't know enough about the game to comment on what Jeff Kent really did during his time in baseball. That's just me. How, how far away are you from getting a vote, John? 
Well, let's see. <laughs> um, you got to be a member for 10 years, and I'm still not a member yet, so you know, a long way to go. But that is a lifetime uh, so dream. We're, so, we're, so we're safe for now. The entire world yeah, is we, now. Yeah, I guess we are safe for now because once I get there, man, there are going to be huge changes when it comes to the voting process because this is – I mean – some of the people you see get voted for. It's just, you have to scratch your head and wonder, did this guy even watch the game? Or did this person, you know, man or woman, watch the game of baseball? It's ridiculous. Horrible. Yeah, I hear you sometimes. All right, let's run through the list of the, the guys who are going to be on their first ballot. And I want you to tell me if you think anyone is even going to stay on the ballot. I mean, this is an <clears> incredibly <throat> weak class. You've got Tim Hudson, who might have the best case to even stay on the ballot. You've got Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, Tori Hunter, Dan Heron, Barry Zito, Aramis Ramirez, Shane Victorino, Grady Sizemore, Alex Rios, AJ Burnett, Nick Swisher, Aaron Harang, Dan Ugla, TJ <laughs> Wilson, Latroy Hawkins, Michael Kadire, Corey Hart, Adam LaRoche, Rafael Soriano, Jeffrey Affelt, Grant Balfour, Jason Marquise, Kevin Gregg, Skip Schumacher. That is the list of not even very good. Of hey, just, that's the list of players who played 10 years by the skin of their teeth. Hey, Skip Schumacher pitched. He actually was a utility player. Let's keep him on the ballot one year, right? What was his war? <laughs> 1.5. Yeah, sounds pretty good. I have a better war than that. If but you I think, think anyone anyone's staying on from that list? I have preferences. I think Tim Hudson should stay on. I think Mark Burley should stay on. And I think Torrey Hunter should stay on. Uh, Torrey Hunter was one of the best defenders of his era and put up decent enough numbers at the plate. They accumulated. Mark Burley, I have a soft spot for Mark Burley. I'm not even a Sox fan, but you can argue 200-plus wins. A guy who made it, a guy who uh, made it through his entire career pitching 84 miles per hour. I have so much respect for that. And Tim Hudson, yeah, he'll probably stay on. You know what? The 222 wins, he was a winning pitcher. When you thought of Tim Hudson when he played, you thought, this guy is a winner. Uh, the injuries are what hurt him. If he could have stayed healthy throughout his entire career, yeah, he'd probably be a Hall of Famer. So I think those guys will probably stay on and, you know, as for the rest, you have to wonder what they're even doing on the ballot. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I mean, Mark Burley was just such a likable guy. He pitched that perfect game with that crazy Dwayne Wise catch. And the year later, he had that play where he flipped the ball through his legs, tumbling to the ground like an old man. Great to watch. Torrey Hunter, I mean, in the All-Star game, I remember him robbing home runs. He was just – you never want to play against him because for some reason, every time you played against him, you, your team would hit a bomb and he would catch it somehow. And Tim Hudson, I couldn't agree more with the injuries. I mean, there was that one year where I've got which met. It could have been – I forgot which met, but rolled over his ankle on the play at first base, and he missed an entire year because of that. And, yeah, I mean, injuries hurt him, but a 3.49 ERA with 220 wins, he better stay on the first, uh, on at least one year. So I mean, yeah. Class. Like, I mean, again, if, if Jack Morris can get in, then Tim Hudson should be on this ballot for all 10 years, you know? Yeah, uh, and, you know, Torrey Hunter, an underrated case for the Hall of Fame. I'm not going to say he deserves it. But 2,500 hits and a great outfielder, he could get 10%. He could, he could stick around for all 10 years. Yeah, the thing that hurts him is uh, his hitting because he didn't really bloom as a hitter until, you know, five or six years in. So his numbers are low. 
Uh, his OPS plus is only 110. 793 OPS, that is, I mean, that's not Hall of Fame worthy, let's be honest here. But his glove was notorious in baseball. And there were years in which he had very good uh, numbers at the plate. So, yeah, he'd better stay on. I would vote for him if I had room on my ballot. And judging by the class this year, I'm going to have a lot of room on my ballot. So, yeah, I would vote for him. And I would also vote for uh, Burley and probably Hudson if I could. If I had the room, why not add them on? They are good players. You might as well keep them on the ballot because, again, there are guys in today who you scratch your head about or guys who get votes consistently. I'd rather vote for Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, or Torrey Hunter over Scott Rowland. Yet probably Scott Rowland's going to get in at some point. So, you know, let's reset our priorities here. If we're talking about certain guys getting in, certain guys who have gotten in, then we have to consider the guys at the bottom of the ballot who in some cases or in previous years maybe would get no support, they should be getting more support now. Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely see what happens. I'm just looking at the ballot here. I, I Honestly, I didn't even know that C.J. Wilson retired. He was pitched for <laughs> barely barely enough time to even get himself onto the ballot. I honestly felt that he was still probably in the minors just sitting somewhere. I mean, he was 34 when he retired. He's only just turning 40. I mean, he's not going to do anything on that ballot. Uh, do you have a, a, a list of 10 guys that you would select today? Man, that's tough. I'll I mean, put you on the spot we, here, but. Yeah, well, if we go through it, let's take a look. I vote for Schilling. Are you a Clemens and Bonds guy? I am a Clemens and Bonds guy. Okay. Um, that makes it three. Wagner, four. Kent, five. I guess Burley, six. Hunter, seven. Hudson, eight. And then... Omar Vizquel would be my ninth. And by the way, those Hudson, Burley, Hunter, I only included because I had room. Realistically, yeah. truly, it'd probably just be six. And even that, even those guys, I don't think are all Hall of Fame worthy. You know, I love Jeff Kent. No one else does. Including him on that ballot with only six guys total goes to show you how weak this year's ballot is and how weak it will be for the years to come. Yeah, I mean, such a weak time in baseball. It's, it's shocking, actually, when you look back on it. Especially growing up around those times, we thought the players were talented. It turns out they were, no, they were not. Yeah. They were pretty bad, actually. Think uh, about, like, Johan Santana, Jose Reyes, all those guys. They were fun back then, but are they really Hall of Fame worthy? Probably yeah. not. I wanna, I, I'm going to look really fast at 2022 just to see if there's anyone that's even remotely decent moving forward. <laughs> you know, 2022's got a decent ballot. I'm not sure if any of them are going to get in first time around. You've got A-Rod on there. He's a controversial one. He oh, probably won't boy. get in. Ortiz, if you – people like him, but he took steroids, played DH. Teixeira's on there. He, he was one of the best switch hitters of all time, but still not possibly good enough. And that's about it. Again. Well, well, hey, hey, you got Jimmy Rollins on there. I like Jimmy Rollins. He may not get enough votes. He may, he may fall off the ballot, but he does have some numbers to his name as well. He could he could squeak on. He could he could even survive for a while with an MVP and a World Series under his belt. So uh, right. So he could survive, but I mean, definitely a weak time. I think uh, overall, if I had to give my my pick this year, I don't, I don't even think I would fill my ballot. I think I've got Schilling. I like Bonds and Clemens. I just think that whether they took steroids or not, they're just they were too talented. Especially Bonds. I mean, I I, I yep. could even be one of those people that. There might have been one person last year that voted for Bonds and not Clemens, or, or sorry, Clemens and not Bonds. 
I might be the other way around where I might just vote for Bonds over Clemens because I think that Bonds was, we know for a fact that he was just too talented before he took the roids. Um, but Schilling, Bonds, Clemens, I like Todd Helton. I know people don't like him a lot because he played so much uh, in Colorado, but I feel like if you can't blame someone for where they play on the field or for a team not liking them to keep, to keep them around for 20 years, like you say with Jeff Kent, you can't blame him for playing uh, in Colorado. So Schilling, Bonds, Clemens, Helton, as I said, I like Pettit. I like the scale. That's six. And, you know, just to keep these guys on the ballot, I'd like to see Hudson, Burley, and, and Hunter just survive one year. I think that there's, there's some honor in staying on the ballot for one year. And so that's, I think, why people get, get one year on the ballot. They, they survive and they get chopped off. So I would leave one, one vote short. I wouldn't vote for 10 guys. Yeah, no, I agree. That's the way this is going. And you've seen a lot of people. I know last year, were a lot of writers early who voted for two guys or only three guys and they got major pushback but the argument is well who else is there to vote for we're not letting in i'm sorry we're not going to let in shane victorino or gary uh grady sizemore or alex rios and we're not going to let in uh gary sheffield manny ramirez sammy sosa sorry yeah so if people don't agree with that they have to realize um what the game of baseball is and what those guys truly made when it came to contributions to the game. Because I think a lot of people hold some of these players in a very high regard. And in reality, they probably shouldn't be there. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, honestly, I, considering how much people like to vote for 10 guys, I was a little bit surprised that Larry Walker only got him 76% last year. I thought that with no one on the ballot, just Derek Jeter, I felt like, he would get more votes. I also thought that Chilling would get in just because of the fact that there were the many people to vote for. People like voting. They, that's, yeah. they like holding their power and, uh, and using it. And so I was surprised that Chilling didn't get in last year. But uh, this year, I think, will be his year. Yeah, no, for sure. He, this is it for him. Even with the politics, there has to be. There have to be 75, 75% of the writers who support him based on uh, baseball ability. I know I would. So hopefully more will follow suit. Yeah, and he won up 10% over just one year. So you got to expect he's going to get that 5% boost again. Yeah. Uh, all right, so, so let's shift gears now. We're all talked out of baseball. Let's go on to some of the NFL news. I know this happened maybe it was a week or two weeks ago at this point, but Cam Newton finally signed to the Patriots. Partially the reason it was delayed was uh, because of the lack of a physical being done before COVID-19. But what are your thoughts on that now that he signed? Uh, I love this move. This is the mature decision, as I've said on my show. You know, I don't know what Cam was waiting for. I don't know what he thought he was going to get. This is a washed-up quarterback, a guy who has gotten progressively worse since 2015 when he won the MVP. And it's a telling sign when the Carolina Panthers reject a $19 million option. Today, for a quarterback, $19 million is chump change. It's pennies out of a pocket. So when you reject that, what you tell everybody is that it's not about the money, it's about talent. We believe Cam has nothing left, goodbye. So, like I said, I don't know what Cam was thinking he was going to get or why he waited so long because there's really no team that needed someone like him for his salary or his expected salary. So he had to mature and he had to realize, well, Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton, they did the right thing. They had to take minimum contracts, become backups, and reinvent their career. 
And in order for Cam to stay in this league, he's going to need to find ways to reinvent himself. So here's his chance with New England. One-year deal. Prove it. Prove to everybody that you're changed. Prove to everybody that you can um, improve your game or else you're out of the league. This is his last chance. Veterans go to New England to either prosper and move on or die. Antonio Brown, he's pretty much dead when it comes to the NFL. Randy Moss went there, and he turned out just fine. So it depends on what you make of the situation, and it's all up to Cam to make the most of what he has right now. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, what, what do you think the Patriots taking a flyer on him, though? You think, you think Stidham's going to start, or you think that Cam Newton's going to start? Right now, I would say Stidham will start game one, but Cam has the opportunity, similar to what's going on here in Chicago um, with Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky, Cam has the opportunity to come off the bench and play in weeks two, three, or whatever it might be. You have to give Stidham the start simply because he did play behind Tom Brady. He's been a part of the team, knows the offense, knows the system. Give him a crap. Why not? And if Cam has to sit the bench, so be it. There's no guarantee with this contract anyway. You know, I saw so many people saying, well, Cam is signed, so now he's automatically the starter. That is not how it works. There is a lot of other moving pieces still involved. And again, Stidham is the incumbent. Stidham will have to lose the job. So unless Stidham just does horrible in training camp, which I don't expect, he will start game one. And then from there, we'll have to see how his performance goes over the season. That'll warrant whether Cam will come in. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I just think that the offense is not built for Cam Newton. I mean, for 20-plus years or however long it was, they had Brady and they had Bledsoe, and Stidham fits that mold. Garoppolo fit that mold. Cam Newton does not fit that mold. Unless they're going to upend their entire game plan, and maybe Bill Belichick will do that, but I just don't see them doing it so fast. And even if they do, Cam Newton is going to be a shell of himself playing in that scheme. Because remember, you go to New England – to play for Belichick. You don't play for yourself. You play for the team, and that is what makes the Patriots so good. So I think Sidham's obviously going to get the start, and we'll see if Cam gets a shot. I mean, Sidham could play well. You've got the Dolphins, who are not great. The Bills, where I think Josh Allen has, still has much to prove. And the Jets are the laughing stock of the NFL. I think there's no reason why the Patriots can't win the division again with Sidham as quarterback. And it actually reminds me a lot of the, the Bears a few years ago when they had a quarterback who maybe wasn't as great, but he did the job, and the defense was the bright spot for the team. And you see Stephon Gilmore. I think he just got rated 99 in Madden. So, I mean, he's, he's a great talent. And uh, the defense is going to be what holds him together. I think if Stidham can just throw the ball, pick up a few first downs, maybe get one touchdown a game, that will be enough for the Patriots. And you're not even going to need Cam. I mean, yeah, last year Tom Brady – his passer rating was under 90, and looking at where that got them. The, the team, it's a system designed around the entire team. It's not just straight up, you know, quarterback or straight up running back. It's an entire cohesive unit. That's a good thing that Bill Belichick has done. And I don't think he's going to upend everything for camp. Why accommodate to some washed-up quarterback who wasn't even paid his $19 million option for Carolina? That, that should be a slap in the face to camp, and I think it was. Come on, you've been with Carolina, you led them to a Super Bowl, you won an MVP with them, then all of a sudden, yeah, you know what, we're not even going to pick up your $19 million option. That is so insulting. I can't believe he's not embarrassed by that. So I think, yeah, it's going to be tough for Cam. 
he's going to have to outplay Stidham either in the preseason or um, in the regular season. Similar to what's going on here, it's Stidham's job to lose. Unless he plays horribly or gets hurt, of course, um, Cam will not be seeing much of the field. No, I agree. And let's now talk about uh, Mitch versus uh, Nick Foles in Chicago, where you're, you're located. What do you think is going to happen with that? So here's my theory. Maybe it's not right. I'm not around the team every day. I'm not a beat reporter, but this is my theory with this. Mitch Trubisky is going to start game one. The Bears, what they did this past offseason was they looked for a quarterback who wasn't good enough to beat Mitch because secretly they still want Mitch to succeed. Remember, that's Ryan Pace's butt on the line here. He's the one who drafted him. So if Mitch doesn't succeed, that reflects poorly on Pace and Nagy and the entire team. Trubisky will start game one, but the minute he screws up, enter Nick Foles. And this is so interesting. I've said this before. Um, I had Ross Tucker on my show back in April once this all started. And he told me this. Every year in which Nick Foles has succeeded, he's come off the bench. The years in which he started right away were the most forgettable years of his career. The Rams, the Chiefs. But when he came off the bench midseason, that's when he shines. So as for the Bears, I would say Trubisky will start game one. Foles will probably come in midseason, and hopefully they'll clean it up and they'll make the playoffs. But right now, it is very concerning to me uh, to think about the Bears as a playoff team. You need a quarterback. It is the most important position on, uh, on the field, no matter what. You know, you could have the best defense in the world. You could have the best running game in the world. If you don't have somebody competent behind center, you're not winning many football games. No, yeah, I think that all makes sense. I mean, you're from Chicago and you're around them much more uh, than I am, but I think it makes sense that Mitch starts. You got to give him one more shot, I think. I mean, it was only two years ago that he, he took them to the playoffs. He's very up and down and he has a lot of games where you think that he shouldn't even be in the NFL, but I think you give him a shot. Nick Foles, you're totally right about him. He, he has not succeeded when he has started. I think part of that has to do with the fact that when teams get to prep for him, he's just not that talented. There's a reason he's always a backup quarterback. And I think this is going to be the exact same in Chicago. I think that the Bears are probably, I mean, probably, I think that they have a good chance to make the playoffs again with Foles coming in as the backup quarterback when Mitch stinks it up. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, Foles – there's nothing flashy about him. And as you said correctly, he's not even that talented. I mean, last year, Gardner Minshew. I mean, when Gardner Minshew takes over for you as a quarterback, you might as well just retire. Like, that's it. It's over. So, we'll have to see. As far I think, as aesthetic, it's the mustache. <laughs> I don't even know what that guy's doing in the NFL, but that's another conversation. Anyway, no, no. I, I think – It'll be Mitch to start. He's going to screw up because that's what Mitch does. And then coming in will be Foles to try and save the day. That's going to be – that's probably going to be it. And does that, does that mean that Nagy's head is on, the, is on the line here? Don't agree with that, no. I, I think it's going to be more so Ryan Pace. Ryan Pace is the one who drafted Trubisky, not Nagy. Nagy has tried to work with him, and I think he could be doing a better job, yes. But Nagy made the playoffs in 2018, and – 
that will get him through a couple of more years here in Chicago. He made the playoffs. Um, you know, coaches before him, Mark Trestman. Mark Trestman made nothing. They got rid of him. John Fox made nothing. They got rid of him. Nagy did make it once. He could make it again with the right quarterback. That's going to be his argument as to why he stays a bit longer. Oh, well, I mean, we'll definitely see what happens. I think Nagy's, yeah. Nagy's head is maybe on the line more than you do, but we'll see. I think the league has short-term memory. I think that 2018 was already two seasons ago. And it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-now league, not what-have-you-done-for-me-two-years-ago league. But we'll definitely see. Well, Bears fans are patient. And, and <laughs> dude, the Bears, uh, you know, they, they should be a much better franchise than what they are. You know, Lovey Smith stuck around for a long time. He led them to the Super Bowl. And look at how long he was with the team for. Yeah. Mike Ditka only won one Super Bowl. And a, a great coach, of course. But the point is, he only won one Super Bowl. And look at how long he was around for. Mad Nagy did make the playoffs. I argue that the Bears would have made the Super Bowl that year if it wasn't for Cody Parkey missing a chip shot. So he'll be around for a little bit because he needs his own quarterback. That's going to be his defense. I didn't have my own guy. If I had my own guy, this wouldn't have happened. And he'll probably get much more time than people think. Yeah, and uh, along the same lines, you know who's going to be around for – a little bit. Patrick Mahomes oh, yeah. with that massive contract. What do you think about that? I'm a fan of it. You know, the NFL, it's all about stability at your quarterback position. You're not going to win a lot of games if you have constant change, i.e. the Bears and other teams who have never had that one franchise guy. You know, the Bears' best quarterback ever statistically is Jay Cutler. So what does that tell you about the organization? Patrick Mahomes has done a lot already. He's won an MVP. He's won a Super Bowl. That's all you could ask for from a quarterback. Now, could the money corrupt him? Yeah, sure it could. But you have to take that chance. What are you going to do? Restart again? Alex Smith is a great quarterback. I'm a huge fan of his. That didn't work in KC. So if you have a guy who can work in your offense, like Mahomes, and work to the point where he's winning MVPs, winning you Super Bowls, you might as well sign him to this extension and make sure he doesn't go anywhere. So I'm, I'm all for it. I'm definitely for it. I'm just wondering if it's too long. I mean, they're paying – if he gets hurt at all, it's not like he's just off the contract. He's getting paid $141 million if he gets hurt. And that, that would be just, just be thrown, thrown away. I think that it's just way too long of a contract for me. I mean, the NFL players get hurt all the time. And, yeah, he's done everything you can ask for. He's won the title. He's won an MVP. There's no sign of him stopping or slowing down. But I just think you're overpaying him. Uh, the happiest person in the room, though, has to be Dak Prescott seeing this news. I mean, he's looking to get paid, and he sees how much money – it wasn't even conceivable that Mahomes could get this much. And now, all of a sudden, Prescott maybe has a case for how much he wants. Now, we don't know the exact number that he wants, but he's probably happy now that, now that uh, Mahomes is off the market for good. Oh, yeah, I would agree. Um, he shouldn't be expecting that dollar amount for his case. No, of course, because Dak, he, he has done nothing. No, he has no, done he nothing. No, but he is a top 20 quarterback. So if he's a top 20 quarterback, he should be getting paid the going rate. The going rate, I would say, is about $35 million. To me, that sounds like a ripoff, but you know what? Again, it goes back to stability. Do the Cowboys want to restart right now? They just locked up everybody. Their defense is locked up. 
They locked up Zeke. You might as well lock up your quarterback and see where he takes you. You know, Troy Aikman was there for a while. He won them three Super Bowls. Tony Romo, there for a while. Maybe they didn't win in the playoffs, but they were regularly in the conversation every year. So you want to have stability. $35 million is a lot for Dak Prescott. But judging the situation, judging the league, I mean, I would argue there are 10 teams right now who would love Dak Prescott right away, including the Bears. So you might as well lock him up. And uh, not for $45 million per year, mind you, but at a decent price because he deserves it. Yeah, I, I agree that stability is the most important uh, thing that a team can have from the quarterback position. But I think that they lost that possibility when they paid Zeke so much money. I mean, he's a running back. The longevity is just not there. I think that they threw away a lot of money with him. And they probably can still move some money around and afford to pay Dak what he's owed. But you're talking about the stability, and the running back never gives you stability. Why they go out and pay him, I don't know. So I think that the Cowboys are just moving in the wrong direction. Jerry Jones has, is way too hands-on. Uh, but we'll definitely see moving forward. I mean, I just – I have my doubts about Dak. I don't think he's done much. I think it's – I think I just don't see him being a long-term piece. You want the stability, but they don't have – they don't have enough talent around him, I don't think, to, to even win with him. Well, I mean, him and Zeke work very well together. So if you lock up Zeke and you can lock up Dak, that'll be a nice combo to have offensively. Um, you know, they have Amari Cooper, right? They still have him. They have some weapons there. Would it be nice if they had a good two or three wide receiver or maybe a tight end? Sure. Maybe that'll come with time. Maybe they could draft somebody and get lucky because they're not going to sign anybody. They have no money. But, yeah, they're going to have to hope for something like that. And, you know, Dak only wants a four- or five-year deal. So he's expecting more money in the future. Or he's expecting to leave. Who knows? So that could also be a possibility. So if I were the Cowboys, take advantage now because, again, this is their time to win. They could win the Super Bowl this year. I could see it with Dak, with Zeke. With that defense, it's possible. Have they ever won a take, playoff game? Look, if you take Dak out of the equation, you that team becomes an 8-8 eight and eight team. You, yeah, but with him, they're what, 12 wins first out of the playoffs? He has not won in the playoffs once, and you want to pay this guy $45 million a year? No, 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 not 45, like 35 to 40. And yeah, 35 to yeah, 40? Yeah, why not? Why not? Because he, has, he hasn't won a playoff game. No, no, no. 40 and 40 and 24 record, two Pro Bowls, two playoff appearances. That's good enough for me. I'd rather take that. Mitchell Trubisky hasn't won a playoff. There are a lot of guys who haven't won playoff games, and they still get some money. Oh, oh, Mitch, isn't, Mitch isn't asking for 35. Mitch stinks. We know Mitch stinks. Everyone's talking about how good Dak Prescott is, and you want to pay him $150 million over four years. I'm still fine with it. You need stability, dude. You need stability at the position. You can't. You can't be having a carousel, especially if you're the Cowboys. What a waste it would be if you get rid of Dak after this season, you have to start fresh. There's no one out there to replace him. They signed Andy Dalton. Okay, great. What's he supposed to do? So I don't know. He might not have won a playoff game ever in Cincy, but he's been to the playoffs much more. He could be exactly what they need as, a, as just the glue that holds the team together. Uh, a very solid quarterback. I'm not saying he's better than Dak. I don't think he is. But he's a very solid quarterback and you don't have to pay him that much, you could actually use that money elsewhere, and all of a sudden you'd have money to spend. Maybe you bolster up the defense. Maybe you build offensive lineup even more, because the offensive line is starting to get a little bit older. I mean, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. I don't know. You are right, though, in that Jerry Jones is way too hands-on. So we're going to have to see how this all plays out for Dallas. Well, thank you, everybody, for watching us today. Corner Booth Sports, John and Daniel. Um, we appreciate you doing this, and make sure to tune in. We're going to do this every week, talk about the latest that's going on in sports, whether it be MLB, NFL, NBA, and NHL. We're going to talk about it all. Um, Daniel, this was fun, man. I really appreciate the time. It was a good time, and can't wait for more of these. Yeah, I look forward to the next time we get to sit down in the corner booth and talk about <laughs> everything. Well, thank you guys again for watching. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, and we'll see you next week.